Okay, good morning. How are you? You're not? Okay, are we good? Are you talking to me? Good morning. Are you good? It's good to see you all. Like uh, Pastor Victor said, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor of New Life East, which we started a couple years ago, and we are having a great time out on the east side of the city. Had a couple Christmas Eve services on Christmas Eve, our first time ever doing that as a community, which was amazing. Were you there? I mean, yes, it was great. And what I loved about it is we saw so many people from the neighborhood that we'd never seen before. So God's doing great things on the east side of the city. I am happy to be back here with you this morning. Uh, It is good to see all your faces, some old friends here. And so uh, just a delight to be with you. Uh, It is the new year. Happy New Year. I hope that you had a good Christmas and New Year's. Uh, Ours was wonderful. Christmas Day was beautiful. We chilled out all last week. And then New Year's Eve, our kids, we have four kids. So Ethan is 15. Uh, Gabe is 14, Bella is 12, and then we have a nine-year-old, Liam. And last year, we sent the youngest kids to bed before midnight, and they were very mad at us about that. And so we promised them that this year we'd let them stay up till midnight, which we did. And that's their idea of living the dream. And so New Year's Eve, we uh, played board games and ate good food and all of that. And Mandy and I went to bed at 10 o'clock. And uh, the older you get... Your ideas about living the dream change, don't they? So, uh, but I do love this time of year. Uh, this is the time of year when we, uh, I think, uh, as communities we do this, and also individually we do this. We start looking back over the terrain of who we are, and we think about what our priorities are and where we need to sharpen or strengthen our priorities going forward. So one of the things that we're doing as a community, New Life Church, across all the congregations this year is that uh, we feel like the Lord is leading us to reprioritize prayer. Uh, Prayer has always been, prayer and worship have always been core values of New Life Church, but this year we feel like the Lord is calling us to just put those things on the map in a more profound way this year. So a couple things to invite you into. As you know, the first Wednesday night of every month from 6.30 to 7.30 right here, we have something known as? Yeah, like 18 of you know about this. It's First Wednesday. And we gather for prayer and worship in this space and prophetic words, amazing night. So that's this coming Wednesday night. Make sure to mark that in your calendar. The other thing that we're doing this year is that you may or may not know, but the World Prayer Center was established many years ago really to be a place of unceasing prayer and worship. And we just feel a nudge from the Spirit to reestablish that identity in the World Prayer Center this year. So starting January 10th, I think we've got the slide up over here. Uh, January 10th, we'll be holding weekly prayer meetings Monday through Thursday, so in the morning, 7.30 to 8.30, and then in the afternoons from noon until 1 p.m. And then if you look on this big slide over here, uh, uh, several of the different ministries here at New Life North, along with several of our different congregations, are actually leading some of the different meetings. So you can see like Monday morning, uh, New Life Men under Pastor Gabe Jenkins. Gabe, are you here this morning? He's not here. Can I hear from all the men in the house? This morning, just shout at me, all the guys in the house, the New Life men, y'all are going to be leading that off. Family Ministries in the afternoon, Global Local Outreach on Tuesday. Pastor Brady's leading uh, Tuesday afternoon. I've got, with my East team, I've got Wednesday morning. Friday night is doing Wednesday afternoon, downtown, and then New Life Women. So if there's a ministry here at the church that you really identify with or you've connected with over the years, maybe join that ministry. Um, If there's a congregation that you identify with, maybe join them. Or if there's just one that works well for your schedule, Uh, Just figure out what that is. But what we're asking you to do is to think about that spot that you want to commit to and then commit to it. Like pick one of these services and be there. And we trust that the Lord is going to pour out his blessing on this church in a new way this year. Uh, This morning, since we're talking about prayer, since I'm talking about prayer here, 
I thought I'd give a teaching on prayer this morning, and so I'll invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 84. And we're going to spend the morning meditating on Psalm 84 and what that psalm has to say to us, both about corporate prayer and about individual prayer, how we engage with prayer in our individual lives. Uh, great series coming up for you this spring. We're going to start a series on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit called Who is God? It'll be 24 weeks. We'll take us all the way into the summer. So uh, amazing. That'll be across all congregations. But this morning we're talking about prayer. And before we talk about prayer, do you know what I think we should do? Yes, we should pray. And so, Lord Jesus, here we are in your presence, grateful as always. The scripture says that you've called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And so that's where we want to locate ourselves this morning, in the marvelous lights of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we say, come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Jesus, your promise to your disciples was that wherever two or three people were gathered in your name, that you'd be there in the midst of them. And not just present as a vague kind of presence, but you said you'd be there to bind and to loose. And so we pray that your power, your presence would be here this morning, both to bind up the things in our lives that need to be bound up, confusion and fear and anxiety, but also to loose all of the things that need to be loosed in our lives, life and hope and joy and peace, we pray that this morning you would get our attention in a fresh way, that you'd help us locate ourselves again inside the great story that you're telling, inside your providence and your wisdom and your goodness. And we ask that you would refresh our imaginations this morning for what you promised prayer to be in our lives and how you have promised to move in the world through it. So we're committing ourselves to you. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Psalm 84, the scripture reads, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those, everybody say blessed are those. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. I love this Psalm, one of my favorites in all of the Psalter. The Psalmist says, how lovely is your dwelling place. Another way to take that Hebrew word is beloved. How Beloved is the dwelling place of God. At the heart of Israel's life, there was what they called the house of God, the temple, the tabernacle. It was a place where God had promised to abide with his people, to dwell with them, to speak with them, to fill them with his presence. And so the psalmist is imagining being in that place. How lovely, he says, are your tabernacles. That's the Hebrew, O Lord, God of hosts. The Lord of the hosts of heaven promises to be in this house and this house for the psalmist, it's a meeting ground for the living God, which is why he says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Why? Because when he comes into the presence of God, he comes into contact with the living God, which by the way, is the most satisfying thing that can happen to the human heart. You might remember the great statement of St. Augustine many centuries ago who said that uh, you have made us, O oh God, to delight in your praise, for you have made us for yourself. Think about that. 
that human beings are made for God, first and foremost, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It's God, we're made for God. And then Augustine adds this. He says that our souls are restless until they rest in you. And you know the feeling, don't you? That there are those times that we come in contact with the living God and our spirits. And it often happens in the space of corporate worship. And it's so deeply satisfying for us. That's what the psalmist is getting at. My soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, he says, cry out for the living God. And then he adds this, and I love this. He says that even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Like, think about what he's saying. That the presence of God is not just for human beings and not just for the righteous and it's not just for people that are doing everything right, but it's even for these small and significant little creatures. That this place of God's presence, God's beauty, the place where worship is offered up to the Lord and prayer is offered up to the Lord is so spacious and so benevolent that even the smallest and most insignificant creatures can dwell there. And so he knows, like, if the swallow can live in this place, then I can live in this place too. That's the place I want to be, right? In the presence of God, which is why he says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. That there is blessing in the space where God's people are gathered together to worship and to offer a prayer to the living God. The psalmist elsewhere unpacks, I think, what's inside that blessing. In Psalm 133, also one of my favorites, if you have Bibles, you can turn there. The psalmist says how good and pleasant, everybody say good and pleasant. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in, what does the text say? Unity, okay, so it's not just the space of God's presence, but it's what happens to God's people in God's presence that's important. So it's not just how lovely are your dwelling places, but it's also what happens between God's people when they come together. So the psalmist says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. And here's the critical line. For there the Lord bestows his, what does the text say? Blessing, even life forevermore. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann explains that that word blessing is not just like in our culture, we say, would somebody just like give a blessing? And that's just words, it's empty words. But Brueggemann explains that God's blessing is literally God's power for life that's released into the world that overruns our sin and our death and heals the world. So think about what the psalmist is saying. That when the people of God are together in prayer and worship, and there is that melding together of hearts that takes place, unity takes place in prayer and worship, God's blessing, literally his life is released in that place that overruns the sin and the death of our world and makes all things new. Guys, corporate prayer unleashes God's blessing upon his people. And I've seen it with my own eyes. I'm sure that you have too. I have the great privilege of being a kid who was born and raised in the church. I'm 40 years old. So that's 40 years of attending lots of prayer meetings and worship services. And I grew up in a church that is very similar in its theological uh, depth and where it came from, kind of its orientation to New Life Church. So I grew up in an independent, uh, charismatic Pentecostal church up in central Wisconsin that was born out of the Jesus movement in the 60s and 70s. So all those tent meetings and the spirit being poured out, all that stuff. And so part of what that meant, it meant many things, uh, being raised in a church like that. One of the things that it did mean is that we were in church all of the time. And if we weren't in church, we were in prayer meetings. 
And so it was two services on Sunday morning. And then of course we had Wednesday night service and then traveling missionaries and evangelists and revivalists would come through town. And so we might be in church on Tuesday night and Thursday night and Friday night and prayer meetings punctuating all of that. And one of the things that I always remember about that church growing up was how much vitality it had. There was just like a sort of hum of the spirit on that community. And from the very earliest years of my life, I was able to connect that in my own mind to the way that our community was committed to prayer. And I remember one of the prayer meetings that we attended often was a Sunday night prayer meeting hosted by one of the elders of our church. And so all the elders and their families would gather together and some other families from the church would get together. And uh, all of the kids would run outside to play, They'd go out to the playground or playing football in the backyard or whatever. And uh, my parents, my dear sweet parents, in their limitless cruelty, <laughs> insisted that little Andrew sit in that prayer meeting with them. And I remember thinking like, I would, you know, they'd I would sit right here, this is where you're gonna sit. And I remember thinking to myself when I was little, I'd be like, do you hate me? You do hate me. <laughs> Everybody else gets to, but why do you? But you know, it was so good for me to be in that space and to end, you know, Pentecostal charismatic church. That's, those prayer meetings are no joke. So we're not talking just like a nice little hour together where we kind of sit around and we offer up nice, we're talking about like three hour prayer meetings, you know, and Sunday night after Sunday night, after Sunday night, I'd sit in those prayer meetings and I would watch them. I would watch the way they pressed into God together and their hearts would come together as one and the Lord would move on those meetings. And in my mind, it was so obvious that the thing that like the engine that drove our community's life, that made it vital and alive was our commitment to gathering together for prayer. That's what prayer does. It unleashes God's blessing upon his people. And I carried that, that instinct into the first church that Mandy and I pastored up in Denver for many years. Our community had grown by 2014. Our community had grown to four or 500 people. We were reaching lots of skeptics and people that were on the outside, the fringes of faith coming in and finding Jesus. It was beautiful. And we went through an incredibly difficult time in 2014 that really pulverized our community. And at that stage of my ministry career is in my mid thirties. I've been in ministry about 10 years. And I still found myself at that point relying a lot on nice like leadership strategy, you know? Like, okay, well, we're kind of going through a difficult time. And so what's the thing that I can do? Like, what's the motivational technique that I can employ or the, you know, cute little phrase, something, the leadership phrase that I can coin that'll get everybody, yeah. And I remember getting to like this, we got to the late spring, early summer of 2015. And I was just like, I was out of ideas. But I don't know, God, I remember thinking about it, like, God, I don't know how to bring this community back to life. I don't know how to motivate people. And they're like folks now where they were coming by the hundreds. Now it feels like they're leaving by the hundreds. And we just got a few folks left in this church. And I don't know if it's going to make it. And God, what do we do? And I remember that early, late spring, early summer of 2015, feeling a prompt in my spirit from the Lord that it was time to just start holding prayer meetings again. And I remember thinking, you know, like we were this real avant-garde ministry up in Denver and again, reaching skeptics and all those people. And I remember thinking to myself, but Lord, do we still do prayer meetings? I mean, isn't this church maybe, are we a little bit too cool for that? You know, and that, like, that's precisely the point. You need to hold the prayer meeting. So we did 7.30 in the morning on Wednesday mornings. And we'd get together in the basement of this Baptist church where we met and I'd set up some folding chairs, you know, a dozen folks would show up and we started together. These folks that none of them, they didn't come from the background that I came from, but they came. And we'd open the scriptures together and I'd begin to read scripture and we'd begin to pray together and I'd watch I would watch hearts open up and I would watch the Lord give prophetic words to people. And I would watch them start like, I would watch just the spirit swirling in that place. And 
All of a sudden, somebody who wouldn't call themselves an especially prophetic person would go like, I feel like the Lord wants to heal somebody here. Is there somebody that you're sick in your body and we need to pray over you? And somebody would raise their hand and we'd go and, man, the Spirit stirs up the waters of a community in prayer. And we did that all summer long and I watched the Lord begin to pour his spirit out in our community and bring new vitality to it. And by the time we hit the fall of 16, I just watched us gain traction again. And all of a sudden that next year, the Lord restored us to where we were before. Guys, I, why does that happen? What is it about prayer and worship? What is it about the commitment to being together in God's presence that does it? I don't know exactly. But what I know from experience is that Psalm 133 is true. That how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in Unity, that place, the psalmist says, is the place where the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Prayer is the engine that drives a community's life. And this community knows that. New Life Church, 15 years ago, this church went through a period of time that ought to have killed it. Scandal by the senior pastor, founding pastor of this church that made national headlines was an embarrassment to this congregation and a mountain of debt. And after Pastor Brady became the senior pastor here, 100 days into his tenure, there was the tragic shooting that claimed the lives of two girls and rocked this community to the core. And do you know what got this church through that season? It wasn't clever leadership strategy and it wasn't motivational techniques and it wasn't like especially good music. Do you know what it was? It was prayer and worship. This community worshiped their way through it and the Lord released his blessing into it. He picked this church back up and made it the church that it is today. I think about even the COVID-19 experience that we went through in 2020 when we had to sh churches around the world shut down. And at the beginning of that, I remember Pastor Brady saying, the most important thing that we can do is somehow find a way to continue to connect with our people through prayer and worship. So this is what we're gonna do. Every Wednesday night, we're gonna host a prayer meeting here, except that because we're shut down, nobody in the church can come to it. But we're gonna worship here and we're gonna have a handful of pastors here and we're gonna speak words from the Lord and we're gonna be together and somehow, so we did it, Worship Wednesdays. You remember those? We'd live stream them right from this place. And I remember how strange that was, being in this place and seeing all the chairs empty. And we had about a dozen folks on the worship team and a handful of pastors and some AV tech and we went for it together as a community, prayed and worshiped. And then when we were finally able to open back up again, we had our first first Wednesday in this building after months of being shut down. Do you remember that? That, to me, that service was, I can count on one hand the number of services that I have been in in my life that were more powerful than that service. That we charged back into this place together and the air was electric with the presence of God. And here we are now, about two years removed from that COVID-19 experience. And the way that that should have scrambled us in every way and instead, guys, we are stronger now as a community than we have ever been in our history as a church. Thanks be to God. <laughs> but why does that happen? It's not because the preaching is so amazing, though I think we do a pretty good job. <laughs> and it's not because our worship team is so talented, though they are very talented. And it's not because we're the most clever leaders on the planet, that we do a good job, I think, trying to come up with the best ideas and all of that. This church is where it is, in the strong place that it is, because of the commitment of you, this congregation, to being a house of prayer and worship. And God is continuing to release his blessing into it. And let me tell you something. 
that the great temptation of being in a place like we are in right now as a congregation, where we're so strong and we're so healthy and we're so alive, is that we begin to trust that strength and we stop trusting in God. And slowly but surely, maybe you've noticed this in your personal life, it happens on the level of community life for sure, is that that hunger for God that made us vital and alive in the first place, it slowly leaks out of the building and rot starts to enter in. I ran into a story not too long ago by the great Saint Dominic, the founder of the Dominican Order of Monks many centuries ago, was seeking authorization to begin his order from the Pope. And so he went to the Vatican to visit the Pope and the Pope was giving him a tour of the Vatican, which at that point was very powerful. And as the Pope is showing him the buildings and all of it, he said, you know, St. Peter, he said this to Dominic, he said, St. Peter can no longer say silver and gold have I none. Like we become prosperous. Look at these buildings, there's money in our coffers. We're one of the great powers of the world. St. Peter can no longer say silver and gold have I none. And do you know what St. Dominic said to him? Neither can it say, rise up and walk. Let that one sink in. Do you know what the Lord says to his people in Deuteronomy? He says, when you enter the land and you settle down and you become wealthy and powerful, when the land around you suddenly is yielding a crop and you're prosperous, when you build homes and all that you have is multiplied, you know what the Lord says to his people? Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The occupational hazard of being in a place of prosperity and health is that we forget God. New Life Church, I'm saying to you, don't forget God. But Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be, they'll be satisfied, they'll be filled. But that depends upon our hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So one of the prayers that we ought to be praying individually and as a community at the beginning of the year is, Lord, make us hungry for you again. Make us thirsty for you again. And that hunger will drive us into the presence of God, which will release God's blessing upon his people. But it's not just corporate prayer that's crucial. But I also think that the life of individual prayer is hinted at here by the psalmist. And it's the thing that keeps the community and our life, our life together vibrant and vital and alive. Watch what the psalmist does in Psalm 84 and verse five, where he takes this, he's just gotten done describing how beautiful it is to be in the house of God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they're ever praising you. And then he pivots here in verse five and he says this, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs and the autumn rains also cover it with pools they go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. This guy is writing this psalm about being together with God's people in the house of God where God's blessing is released, but he's not actually there at the moment. Where is he? He's far away and he's making his pilgrimage to the house of God. And so he can look at those that live in the house of God and he says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, they're ever praising you. But he also says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. And as they pass through the valley of Baca, Baca is a Hebrew word that means weeping. Think about this. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they actually make it a place of springs. The autumn rains cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. 
What it appears the psalmist is is doing is that he's saying that as we set our hearts to be in the presence of God individually, what happens is we draw strength from that place of blessing and it actually causes vitality, the vitalization of everything that's around us. Are you following me? That to me is the life of individual prayer. That as we come out of the presence of God as a people together in, from Sunday to Sunday, what we do is we don't just leave the presence of God over there, but we treat our own spirits, our own houses, our own hearts as portable tabernacles of God. And just thereby, we become vital and vitalizing presences to the world around us. When I think about my own personal life, when I think about the constellation of disciplines that I've committed myself to over the years that have made my life vital in whatever respect it is vital. I think there is the discipline of gathering together with God's people, the way that that orders your mind in the right way and reconnects you to God's people. That to me is the most important spiritual discipline that I have is gathering together with God's people. But the second discipline is like unto it. And it's the habit of personal prayer. That commitment daily to bring yourself before the presence of God, that for me has made my life what it is. And I'll tell you this in all honesty, that when I first started to begin, I've probably been praying, golly, 33, 34 years, 35 years, something like that. I started when I was five, six or seven with a habit of personal daily prayer. And one of the things that used to trip me up, especially as I got into my teenage years, is that I had this idea that the way that prayer worked is that when you got yourself into the presence of God, at some point in that experience, you know, you read scripture for a little bit and then you begin to lift up your voice to the Lord. And at some point, something dramatic would happen. And here I sit now all these years later, a lifetime of prayer. And I can tell you that most of the time when you pray, this is going to be a real heartbreak for some of you. Nothing dramatic happens. <laughs> Sometimes it does. And I love those moments. I love those moments when you're in prayer and you're seeking the face of God and all of a sudden God pops up in your experience and he surprises you. and You begin to weep tears of joy and your heart opens up and there's fresh revelation. But mostly it's this like deliberate coming that God does something to you in it. I don't know what to say. I have this... Um, Here's like the best way that I know to describe what the life of prayer does for you. I go on this, uh, I have this walk, a favorite walk in my neighborhood. I take it at least once a day, a couple times a day usually. And it'll take me around this little bog behind our house on this little path. And then the path will cut down and it'll go between like, there's this residential area, a whole bunch of houses over here. Here's the path. And then there's this like pasture land on the left-hand side and this little canyon with a creek at the bottom that runs through it. And the canyon is so beautiful. I love the way that it ebbs and flows and its little grooves. And in the spring and the summer and the fall, especially, it's incredibly gorgeous. The trees that have clustered around it and all the green, it's absolutely wonderful. And it is in its own way, it's a work of art. And when I look at that canyon, the thing that I, my attention is often drawn to is the little stream at the bottom. Because you know what made the canyon? The stream made the canyon. And do you know how long it took the stream to make the canyon? I have no idea. But it wasn't a week or a month or a year or even 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. Most likely that creek has been running through there for decade upon decade upon decade. And there is nothing dramatic about the stream. It just keeps going. Now there are moments, you know, 
when the rains hit and all of a sudden we've got a lot of water in the area and that place will be flooded and it's tearing out new grooves. But for the most part, it's like the stream running through that land week after week, year after year is what cuts that groove into the landscape. That to me is what the life of prayer does. That it's the way in which the presence of God grooves itself into our being so that after 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, you look up and the spirit has crafted Jesus into your being. That's what the life of prayer is. And there is no holiness in any individual's life that's accidental. Do you know that? Nobody winds up as a saint because they just sort of blunder their way into it. The way that we become the kind of people who make a difference to the world around us is that we commit ourselves to being in the presence of God. Just two weeks ago in the World Prayer Center, we held a memorial service for one of our most, the most beloved members of our community here, Cal Massey. And many of you know the Massey family. And I didn't know Cal very well. We've gotten to know each other. We've gotten to know each other over the last six months or so, just some conversations here and there. And just judging by his family, I know his kids better. Just judging by his family, I knew him to be this holy, godly, upright, wonderful, righteous man. And we gathered together in the World Prayer Center and we sat there for two hours listening to testimony after testimony after testimony of Cal's life and the difference it made for people. And Cal was a guy that whenever he spoke to you, he had a word of, he was just encouraging. He picked you up and he left you better than when he found you. And whenever you needed anything from Cal, you could come over to his house and sit down and listen to him talk. And he owned this auto repair shop in the city. He's owned it for decades. And Cal has put more single moms in cars than probably any person in this city and always given people good deals and treated his job as a ministry. This guy, I'm telling you, we sat there for two hours and not a minute of it was wasted. I sat there thinking, how can a human being like this even exist? It's like listening to stories about Jesus, you know? I suppose that the whole world wouldn't have, you know, the space for the books that would be written. Cal Massey. But how does a guy like Cal Massey happen? If you talk to his kids, you know what they'll say? that their most enduring memory of their father is waking up early in the morning and going down to the kitchen and seeing Cal Massey sitting there with the scriptures in front of him, pouring out his heart before the Lord. How do you make a Cal Massey? It's a daily exposure to the presence of God. And it's not dramatic. It's not always amazing, but what it does is it grooves Jesus Christ into our lives. Guys, that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. And if you make no other resolutions this year, or if you make no fresh commitments this year, other than this one commitment, this commitment will make all the difference in the world. It's the commitment to find a consistent time and to find a quiet place and then to bring yourself daily before the presence of God, bathing your mind, saturating your mind in what the scripture says about who we are and who God is and what's really true in our world and then praying that back to God, like letting that be the pathway into the presence of God. And so what I wanna do as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, is I wanna invite you to stand and we're gonna practice praying together this morning. And many of you are intimidated by prayer. You think it is too hard, it's too lofty, it's too fancy, I can never do that. I'm really not a prayer person. I don't know what to do when I get in God's presence, right? If I just have a little time, what am I supposed to do? We never graduate beyond this. This is what we do. That we saturate ourselves in scripture and then we pray it back to God. And so what I wanna do this morning is I'm gonna lead us in Psalm 84. And we're just gonna pray together as a community and stir up our spirits 
And then we're gonna sing a song of worship in response and Pastor Brad is gonna lead us to the table. And so say this with me, church, let's make this our prayer. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. Can we lift our hands this morning, church, and begin to pray? And so we say, stir up our hearts, O God. Psalmist says, how lovely is your dwelling place. We pray that you would put the loveliness of your dwelling place inside our hearts and that our spirits would hunger and thirst for the living God. Jesus, you said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so I pray that you would do that in us. And I pray that wherever hunger has died in us, that you would awaken fresh hunger in us, as you'd help us see where we've glutted ourselves with things that cannot satisfy. And I pray that you would make us hungry again for the living God. So do that, we pray. And I ask, not just as a congregation corporately, but I ask that you'd help us carry the spirit of prayer into our individual lives. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Would you do that? The psalmist said, open my lips, so Lord, and my mouth will proclaim your praise. And that seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous law. So I pray that you'd do that in us. I pray that you'd help us remember that this isn't really actually about prayer, it's about God. <laughs> prayer is the name that we give to the hunger that drives us to an interaction with the living God. So do that in us, we pray. And we ask that in that place of prayer and hunger for God, that you pour out your spirit on this church in a fresh way. So grant it, we are asking in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. let's worship in response and then Pastor Brad will lead us to the table. Friends, as we respond to this word, can we confess together how we need him, how we desire him? let our confession of our need for him, our confession of our desire, let that awaken our hearts to what Andrew's talking about this morning. Jesus, we're looking for you. Let's sing this together. For my waking breath, for my daily bread, I depend on Oh, 
I depend. I depend on you. I depend on you for the victories still in front of me. I depend on you, yes, Lord. I depend on you. your communion elements if you haven't already as pastor andrew said it's in prayer that we encounter the presence of god we encounter his blessing the blessing of being with him and everything flows from that space the merging together of the human heart and the heart of god what makes that place possible? 
It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that makes it possible. And it's at the table that we fix our eyes on what Jesus did for us, that he made a way for each one of us and together as his family to come before him. The scripture goes so far to say in Hebrews 4 that we're to approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Well, how's that possible? It's because we have a high priest. The verse before tells us his name is Jesus and he was tempted in every way. He understands, yet he was without sin. The perfect one has made a way for the imperfect ones to come before him. It's beautiful. And it's all before us at the table. And on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he blessed it and broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant that I make in my blood. Do this whenever you partake in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Perhaps if there's anything we want to be said of us in this new year, it's that we learn to abide more and more in the presence of God, individually and corporately together. We're gonna do that in some great ways as Andrew talked about prayer coming up. Before we, um, before we leave, I wanna invite our prayer ministry team to come forward. Um, if you have any prayer need, we'd love the chance to just talk with you, meet you, hear what's going on, or maybe you just wanna come up and just say, 
I just need prayer. You'd rather not share. That's great too. We would love the chance just to connect with you. Also, if you're relatively new to our church and you're like, hey, what's the next step for me to get involved here? Um, we'd love to answer that question. If you go right out these middle doors into the left, there's a place called Connect Central. We have a gift for you. We have pastors and leaders that want to meet you and uh, just talk to you about what a next step would look like for you. Um, also, let's not forget, first Wednesday is this Wednesday. Come on. So it's our, our second chance to gather corporately, spend an hour together worshiping, praying. It's going to be amazing. All right, church, open up your hands. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you as you leave. Children of God gathered at New Life Church, may you taste and see that God is good, that he's calling you into his presence. He's inviting you to experience him. May you be filled to overflowing with the goodness of God. May you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you walk close with Jesus this week. I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Have a great week. See you on Wednesday night.